So we're going to finish chapter 3. We left off in verse 6 last week. And it was one of those things where I was trying to decide, do I do the whole thought and let's do like two and a half chapters or do we break it down into smaller chunks? So we, we went the smaller chunks route just because I wanted to make sure we sold the framework. Hang on just a second, please. I'm sorry. Hey, I got somebody here that might want to see what you're showing. Oh, wait, it's got a poor connection. It's Vince and Terry. Oh, okay. I was try- All right, hey, show me and Brian Alcatraz again. <laughs> Where are you? Oh, okay. There, that's Alcatraz. Well, yeah, they thought it was Tuesday. They were calling group. Yeah, well, we're like in the middle of the church. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to okay, walk out now. Y'all cause... come back soon or get excommunicated. All we know is they call us from jail. Wow, you know. Oh, my goodness. I mean, a federal, a federal <laughs> As some of you know, Vince and Terry are going for like eight weeks. And I don't know how many weeks it is now. Is it three now that they've been going? So we still have a while. We'll have to reintroduce them to everyone when they return. So, all right. So Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to, in a moment, pick up in chapter 7. But I want to make sure we remember the idea really well. So let's actually start in verse 1 of chapter 3 and just get the general gist of what's happening, and to do that, let's just do a quick trivia pop quiz. What has been the main theme of Hebrews so far? Jesus is better. How has the author of Hebrews made that point? He's better than angels. He's better than angels. Better than Moses. He's better than Moses. In fact, better than Moses, and by Moses we kind of mean the Old Covenant. Better than Moses is going to carry us through basically until we get to the Hall of Faith in chapter 11. So we formally began the Better Than Moses section uh, last week, and we will get into the really the heart of his argument moving forward as he quotes Psalm uh, uh, 95 here going into this, and we're going to try to make as much sense of it as we can. So let's just reread uh, the... Well, sorry, one more question. Um, why did the author of Hebrews write Hebrews? Why does he need to convince someone that Jesus is better. Remember the, con- the historical setting. He's talking to his uh, old brethren, the Jewish uh, people that have not converted to Christianity. Well, predominantly he's talking to ones who have converted. Oh, I'm, because they're being persecuted. Because they're being persecuted to go back. So the context of Hebrews is we ha- he has to establish that what you have in Christ is better than what you came from, meaning Old Testament covenant apart from Christ. Now, there's a certain sense in which there's really no such thing. There was no Old Testament Old Testament covenant apart from Christ. So pre-Christian Judaism didn't exist until after the resurrection of Jesus. Does that make sense at all? That's going to be clear, I think, as we go through. But Judaism was a Christian religion until Christianity began. And now it's a non-Christian religion. And what he's saying is this thing you think you're going back to doesn't exist. You take Jesus out of that, you've got nothing. And so he's going to make some stark comparisons between this very literal rendering of the Mosaic Covenant, a literal understanding of it, a works-based salvation 
compared to what Christ is offering us in the New Testament. Does that make sense at all? It might by the end if it doesn't now. So Hebrews 11, sorry, 3, we'll start in verse 1. Let's just reread those six verses to make sure we're on the same page. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. So as opposed to considering angels, as opposed to considering Moses, let's, let's consider Jesus, even though we're still going to compare him to Moses, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. That's a very key phrase. Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him. The first him is a reference to who? Jesus was faithful to the Father. Jesus was faithful to the Father who appointed him. That is the Son. So Jesus was faithful to his Father, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. You remember what was the house in the Old Testament? The nation itself, the people. Just like in the New Testament, we say the church. We don't mean a building. We mean a people. It's a building idea. It's a metaphor of a building. But literally, it's a, it's a people. Moses was faithful over all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Every house is built by someone. But the builder of all things is God. Thank you. Verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Now how's that going to compare to Christ? He will be faithful in God's house as, as the son, the heir, future owner. Right Now don't go too literal with the metaphor because Jesus has always been God. But that's what he's going for. So Jesus... He, sorry, okay, sorry. Let's just start at verse 5 again. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Now, we kind of ended with this concept last week. What's this qualifier? You count as God's house. You count as a child of God. You count as a true member of the covenant if what happens? If what? If you're faithful to the end. Which, how would, what, what's different about how we might expect that to be worded? You're counted as a member of God's house if what? We, we would emphasize the beginning rather than the end, usually. So if you got saved, you're a member of the house, but that's not how he words it. He's saying the end point, reaching the end point confirms that you are part of God's house. All right, so what theological topic could possibly be called into question based on that statement? Perseverance of the saints, right? And the basic idea... The perseverance of the saints is what? Or what, in the Baptist world, they usually don't call it that. What, what's the other lingo? Once saved, once saved, always saved. All right, so what's what's the gist of once saved, always saved? Or perseverance of the saints? You can't lose your salvation. So once you're saved, you stay saved. Okay? So, Hebrews is one of the places you go when you're disagreeing with that statement. And I'm going to show you as we follow the context here, 
Hebrews has the best argument for perseverance of the saints in all of Scripture. And so it'll make a lot of sense as we dive in, but just prepare your mind that that's where we're going. So let's look at the map. So I wanted to, so the work of Moses is the framework for Christ. This is going to be the paradigm or the framework, the, the structure of the argument that the author of Hebrews is going to make. So as you, let me try to recreate the map again. And again, make fun of my, my shapes. Okay, well, that was pretty bad. You can work with it. There's a river. You don't need that part of the map, but just for the sake. Okay. Is that clear enough for you to know what the pieces are? So this, water, Mediterranean Sea. Okay. This, Red Sea, Nile River, Dead Sea, Jordan River, Sea of Galilee, Euphrates. All right. What nation historically was right here? Israel. Israel. What nation here? Egypt. Egypt. And what is this region usually referred to as? Wilderness. Wilderness. Okay, wilderness. So when we say the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, we mean this area. So we note that on the map. Egypt. And I'm going to say wilderness. And then instead of Israel, I'm going to call this promised land. Okay, so there's our three pieces. All right, so historically speaking, the story of Moses starts where on the map? God's people are in Egypt, and what are they at the beginning of Exodus? They're slaves. They cry out to God for a deliverer. God sends Moses. Fast forward 80 years. Moses leads God's people out of Egypt into the wilderness. In the wilderness, what did they receive? The Ten Commandments, the law. So follow the pattern. It always works this way. God saves before he gives law. He always saves and then gives commandment. So he saved, gave commandment, and what were they supposed to do immediately after that? Go to the promised land. But you remember the story? They send spies into the promised land, 12 of them. They all come back. The first half of their message is all the same. That's a wonderful place. It's awesome. The people are big, though. And then 10 of them, their response to the people are big, though, is we can't do it not going in. And the other two, Joshua and Caleb, um, what's their take? Hey, we, we serve a God. He, you saw what he just did. Who was the world power during this time? This is Egypt. So our God just defeated the world power without our input. And now this little tiny group of people over here that's insignificant from a global perspective, um, we're too scared to go fight. That, so that's the perspective of two. And the other ten are saying, no, we can't do it. And, of course, you know how that story ends. They are disobedient. They get rejected. And what do they have to spend the rest of their lives doing? Wandering, Wandering in the desert until what happens? That whole generation dies in the wilderness. Does Moses take any of them to the promised land? Not a one. Because Moses himself doesn't even make it. Two of them do go. And which two? Joshua and Caleb. Um... The Old Testament name Joshua is a New Testament name. 
We just don't say Joshua in the New Testament. Anybody know what that is? Jesus. Jesus. So the only one who made it, the only one plus Caleb, <laughs> is Jesus. That's, that's going to be real significant. So if you think about that, um, interesting side thing. All right, so that's our Old Testament story. Moses was still considered faithful, though, because what did he provide? He saved them from Egypt and then gave them the law. He, he did those things. He, very good in that regard, but he didn't make it to the promised land. That's going to be very significant as we dive into what's happening now. All right, therefore, so remember, he's trying to prove that last thing he said. We are his house. If we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. He's going to use a similar statement later on in the paragraph. So Christ, he's going to be faithful. You remember how we ended? Where's he going to get his people? All right, because who's a better prophet, Moses or Jesus? Jesus. Who's a better leader? Jesus. Who's a better savior? Jesus. You see, no matter what question we ask here, the answer is going to be Jesus, right? Our Sunday school answers finally pay off. Okay? So that's going to be the scenario. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, recording a Psalm of David, um, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said... They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So who's talking? This is God the Father speaking. Who's he talking to? It's the Jewish people. And what's his offer to them? There's an opportunity on the table. Don't harden your heart. Unlike, he's referencing now a group of people who did harden their hearts, and that's our Old Testament story, right? What did they do? His description there is going to be that they hardened their hearts. He's going to call them disobedient in a few minutes. He's describing that stiff-necked, stubborn people who are disobedient, technically to Moses, but the commandment of God through Moses. They were disobedient to him, and then God swore in his wrath. And what is a, maybe a more common English expression for that? Anger. So God got angry with them. And what did he promise? You will not technically enter the promised land. But what's it say in the psalm? Into the rest. Rest. Okay, Hebrews is going to make a very complicated metaphor here. So we've got to use our brains and think through what he's doing so that you follow what's happening. So when we say rest and we're talking to Hebrew people, immediately everyone in the room knows that's a reference to what? The Sabbath. The Sabbath. Well, okay, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> that, that's going to weave in. All right, so technically the rest is day seven, right? What's significant about that sequence of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 
rest on seven. This is creation. So who was doing the resting? God. Okay, so here, this is going to be the metaphor then. Is a week is a length of time. So here's how the metaphor is going to work here. It's all of time is working towards the great Sabbath. We will rest like God rests. All right, so in other words, the great Sabbath, what else could we call that? Eternity with the resurrection. Excellent. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. So here, though, the rest meant what? The promised land. What were they going to be resting from when they got to the promised land? Yeah, so the wandering and the conquest would be over, and they would have rest. So followed. So it's a literal concept and a long-term figurative concept. It's, they didn't get to enter the literal rest, but really, if you think about it, if you disobey God, you don't get to enter the great rest. And this is the pattern. You follow what he's saying so far. So this is what's going on in that psalm. So the author of Hebrews quotes the psalm, which is about that scenario, giving them up. Don't be like those guys. Don't harden your heart like those guys. And then verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now remember the context. Who's he talking to when he writes that verse? People who are being tempted through persecution to fall away from Christ and land back on Moses. So what's he telling them? <laughs> Don't do that. Or do not be tempted to fall away. Now he's saying more than that. Falling away is not just a decision here. What's it a sign of? Where's he make this the issue? Because the heart. That's an unbelieving heart that would do that. It's not just, a, eh, one sounds better than the other. Be careful that you don't have an evil, unbelieving heart, and that heart is leading you to fall away from the living God. But, verse 13, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so how would we say that in modern English? The days that it didn't Do what? Right. Now, present. All right, the present. The perpetual present. As long as it's present, then when will it not be present? Always. <laughs> all right, so as long as it's present, which is a way of saying at all times, all right, we need to exhort one another that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, what sin in particular is our context here? This is falling away from Christ. This isn't some just particular sin in general. This is the sin of leaving Christ, apostasy, leaving Christ, and going back to Moses. we got to exhort one another to make sure that does not happen. Verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if... Indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. How did he make the definition of the true Christian yet again? 
It's about the definition is you're a true Christian if what you started with, you end with. Right, so that's our whole Egypt wilderness promise. How do I put it on there? Egypt, that's how okay. So Egypt would be like we're slaves to sin, and then we are kind of in a tension where we're redeemed, we live in this covenant, but we haven't experienced the, the glory to come of the covenant. And then this would be like the final kingdom of heaven, all things finished. So we could call this this moment here salvation. So he's saying a Christian is somebody who got redeemed, and then from this point makes it to this point. In other words, if you don't make it to that point, what can we say about you? You're not you're not a believer, you're not redeemed. Now let me illustrate it another way. So we just think timeline. So here's your life, here's your timeline. This is eternity. Just an individual timeline, not a global timeline. So just you and your experience. So this is when you were lost, and you reached this point of confession. Your original confidence, your hope is in the Lord. You become a child of God. He's saying you have got to make it to this side to say that you have a share in Christ hear that. So to a Christian, by definition, is somebody who has this original confidence and goes to the end. All right, so it's a hypothetical scenario. Can someone have this original confidence and then fall away? <laughs> Everybody's like, uh, So, but that scenario would be more like this. So someone is on the path, gets off, gets back on the path. Is that scenario possible? Yeah. It happens all the time, doesn't it? Abby? Now, original here would, would mean when you became a Christian. Not like your original, you were originally Buddhist, and then you, it would say when you became a Christian, that original moment, that original belief goes all the way to the other side. Well, what I'm asking is, does this scenario happen? You ever know anybody that did that? It seems so, right? The problem is, though, that they, they were never truly saved in the beginning. Okay. So Ted is saying, if that happened, I can't, I can't trust that this happened. Okay. Well, how can I trust that this happened? We go all the way to the end. <laughs> so we just said assurance is over here. 
That's not what I want assurance, though. Because God has promised if we, if we get the salvation there, we have the assurance that he's going to carry us through. It's also the assurance when other people confirm that they see and walk in his faith. Yeah. Okay. So what's being, or the context of Hebrews, he's talking to a group of people who supposedly have done this. And they're going firm in their faith. And now they're being persecuted. So now the storm cloud is coming down. They, they're experiencing that persecution. Well, let's just say Moses is down here. And they have tempted now to run back to Moses. Do you think ever, ever, anyone ever did? I'm sure they did. There's a reason Hebrews was written. Right? If, if there was no chance that it could happen while well, write the book, if it never happened, I'll well, write the book. I'm sure people left the faith and went back to Moses. I mean, people um, commit apostasy all the time. You see, they grow up in the church and go off to college and turn into something else. It's a paradigm so regular that we can, we're worried about it when kids go off to college. And we know that this is a possibility. <coughs> so the thing that's happening here in Hebrews is he's telling the person that's right here to do what? Kind of. And technically, there's a step before that. I mean, it's, it's related. But what's the, what's the literal commandment? Do what? Don't harden your heart. Or watch out for what? Look at the heart. Well, which is interesting, because what are they looking at right now in this scenario? They're looking at the storm. Now, look at the storm. Look at your heart. What do you need to see when you look there? Do I? Okay, so the new covenant written on our hearts. So what what's what is it that's written though? What's what am I what's the specific thing in my heart that I'm looking to find? You're right on the cusp. I mean it's like right there. Okay, what's the attitude towards Christ I'm looking for? Savior, softness, obedience, trust, maybe, surrender. I'd take any of those answers. Do I? <laughs> Repentance, I would take that as well. All right, let's see, did we do 15? As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Same verse, just requoting it. For who were those that heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt? Led by who? Moses. Moses. So who is it that rebelled? People led by Moses. You follow? That's significant. These people, they saw all this stuff. They were led by Moses. They're the ones who rebelled. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And whom did he swear that they would not enter his wrath? sorry, rest, but to those who were disobedient. I want you to see some terms. This dropping off, the lingo that's being used, he said they were sinners, and then it said they were disobedient. Now, if we stopped right there, we could end up with the wrong theology. 
Because that makes it sound like if you get saved, and now while we're wandering in the wilderness, which is an excellent metaphor for the Christian life, we're wandering in the wilderness. If we are sinners or disobedient, what happens? We don't get saved. Is that what the author of Hebrews is saying? No, because we're all sinners. You better stay on track. You better be good. You better not disobey. Or just like those Hebrews, you're not going to get into the promised land. Is that what he's saying? Well, it can't be, because then he would be exactly the same as Moses. What was the deal with Moses? He led them out. They disobeyed. They died in the wilderness. But Jesus, we told in the very beginning, has so much more glory than Moses, we really can't be compared. Because he's not a steward over the house. He's the one building it. Well, think about it. It makes me think of, of Matthew, where Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, I will build my church. I love that expression. It doesn't say you will. It doesn't say we will. It doesn't say I'm going to help you. It doesn't say you're going to help me. He says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell are going to do what? They're going to not. It's interesting, gates. What defense? I'm sorry, what? They're defensive, not offensive. How do we tend to think of Christianity? We're on the defense. But from a Christian perspective, we're on the offense. And Jesus is building his church. He's building his house. Unlike Moses, who's not going to get any of those people to the promised land, what is Jesus going to do? He's going to take them all. All right, so now see this last connection. And this gets so much better in chapter 4 and 5. But this is where we're going to pause, verse 19. So we see, this is his conclusion of what he's just said, that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Do we equate those usually? A disobedience is unbelief. I mean, when I, have you ever disobeyed God? You have, okay. When you disobeyed God, is because it, was it because you didn't believe in him? Not really, right? I mean, what are you doing? You don't think of it that way. You sin because you Okay, you want to do what you want to do, right? Something's enticing you, and you like it. You want to do it. You, you do this thing. I mean, David, think about the King David. That's who we're quoting here in this psalm. Um, did David ever sin? But what did God describe him as? The man that was what? After his own heart. In fact, awkwardly, the Old Testament describes David in near-perfect terms more than once. And one time, it's, it's basically David was perfect, except for that scenario with Bathsheba. But other than that, I mean, he was like perfect. But if you read David's story, is that what you think when you read it? There's a particular category of sin. Now, we can, we can water this category down and apply it to anything, but the Bible usually doesn't, a little more in the New Testament. There's a category of sin David did not commit. Idolatry. David was not allowed. He never sinned because of unbelief. When he sinned, that's where we get Psalm um, 51, 
10, after David and Bathsheba. Do you remember how he words that? Oh, exactly. Created me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. He knew who he sinned against. So he sinned in relationship with Christ, not outside of it. Here's what I'm saying. is the people who fall away are the people who have unbelief. So we were going to use this paradigm to define belief. How would we define belief? What does it mean to believe? Or which just is the exact same thing as having faith. The Greek, those are identical. It's just in English we have two different words. So what does it mean to have faith then if this is how he's using the word unbelief? In what context or in what sense can we make faith or, un, or unbelief equal to disobedience? We're trying to in reverse define faith here. We don't follow. We don't follow. Okay, if you think of faith as following, following in our context, Jesus, the not having faith would be doing what? Not following Jesus. Stray. Right? Now there's a big difference between us committing a sin and doing something wrong and us ceasing to follow Jesus. Now think about this. What was the primary reason Moses couldn't have led anyone into the promised land? didn't get to go. What's Jesus going to do? He's going to make it. <laughs> Even in the Old Testament, Joshua, Jesus made it. So anyone following him, what happens? He makes it. So that's why our definition is critical here. If we have faith in Jesus, meaning that's who we're following, that we're in his foot because they were led by Moses. Key distinction. We are led by Christ. Anyone led by Christ will make it to the promised land. But for us, it means eternity. It's a guaranteed thing. This is what makes Jesus better than Moses, specifically. He didn't lose any stragglers along the way. Follow what I'm saying? That's where he's going with this. All right, so we didn't fill in any blanks. So let's see what we can do here. Okay. You know, I do these outlines because it helps me stay on track, and then I ignore them the whole time, so I don't, know, I don't know what's going on with that. All right, so we have opportunity. This is a key phrase for Hebrews. This Today, we have opportunity to obey God in the wilderness. So for us, we mean wilderness is right now. We're saved and not quite finished being saved, if that makes sense. We're out of Egypt, but we're not in the promised land. It's very synonymous with the current experience. We're saved. We could call this sanctification. Um, it's really more of a temporal distinction, though, than a progressive distinction. So it's not like it's not like we're getting closer and closer to the promised land. So much as I gotta survive this wandering until we get that. If that makes sense. So obedience equals faith. Obedience equals faith. And what we mean here is that if you're following Jesus, you're obeying Him. That's that's our definition. So obedience is faith. So these people who fell off, they were not faithing God. They were with Moses. They followed Moses. They got out into the wilderness. But just because they jumped through those hoops did not mean they were following God. They were in 
Unbelief is his key expression. So faith is walking forward on God's mission, trusting him with the results. So think about the nature of their disobedience. What was the specific thing they refused to do after they got the Ten Commandments? Literally, to follow God into the promised land. Like, come on, I will lead you in. And they said, "Mm, not taking that step. We don't trust where that path leads. That is the opposite of saving faith. Saving faith is explicitly trusting where the path leads and trusting the results to God, regardless of what it looks like I'm stepping out on. I know where this path leads. I know where he's taking me. I trust him. So I'm going to follow him. That's how we're defining this. So we will not enter God's rest if we do not have faith. It's just the basic doctrine of justification by faith. You cannot be saved apart from faith. So we will enter God's rest because we have a faithful high priest, Jesus Christ. Key distinction there. Because as long as we're following him, he will lead the right way. So who becomes, where does all, where, what's the linchpin of this? Where's the, the hinge point? What's all this rest on? The quality of the leader. Everything in Christianity is based on the quality of the leader. That's our way of saying Jesus is the reason salvation is possible. He's the reason it's sufficient. He's the reason it's necessary. He's the only way we can be saved because he's the only one that can lead faithfully to the other side. Now, he will spend four chapters explaining what that faithfulness is. But that, that's what he's setting up for. And in the last section, um, an unbelieving heart is one that will not follow Christ's lead. Okay, is that making sense so far? Got a lot of detail to work out as we get closer to chapter 6. We're talking about that impossible to renew to repentance passage. It's coming. We'll get there. What you got, Young? Faith that fizzles before the finish was flawed from the first. Yes. It rolls off the tongue well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would have to slightly modify it to emphasize that the object was incorrect. But yeah, just, I'm overanalyzing. Never mind. We're good. We're good. It's a good illustration. <laughs> yeah, no. It does connect well to this. Okay. All right, any other comments or questions? Um, did y'all do a prayer list at the beginning? We did. Okay, well. Weren't you in here? No, no. she was talking. I, I, was, I was helping your wife. There we go. So, okay, all right. You're going to add to it, is what you're doing. <laughs> add away, and then we will pray. Well, I don't know what they are. Oh, you're making a physical. We prayed for Shane Nicholson Shane. to get his life right. And we prayed for Brother James Miller, whose health is not the greatest. All right, can we add this sincerity? You know, they're having a really wonderful time, and I'm really jealous. We should pray for them that they would call and interrupt during the middle of a Bible study. Well, you know, they've been sending me pictures and videos. Like I'm glad they're alive. We yeah. pray for them that they don't have as good a time, so we aren't yeah. jealous. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to come up with it. All right. Everywhere. Everywhere. 
They're in, where were they? In San Francisco? That's right. Okay. And that was Alcatraz. Like Alcatraz. Yeah, yeah I missed the joke there, is what well, I missed when I was. Gotcha. Well. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to pray for us again to close us out. So. Father, we thank you for tonight. We pray that our study through Hebrews would be meaningful. Help us to think um, clearly about Christ and his sufficiency to be our Savior. Help us to follow him wholeheartedly, faithfully, that we would listen and heed his voice, and that as long as it is called today, we would not harden our hearts like they did, but we would willingly, joyfully even follow, take up our cross, and go wherever he leads. God, we pray that you would grant us this in the power of your spirit, and we ask this boldly in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.